Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is Prab Singh, Global Head of Marketplace at WeWork and a venture partner with NextGen. Prab recently launched a new on-demand offering at WeWork that allows for usage by the day or by the hour. In the conversation, we talk about how that offering aligns with the future of office space, where WeWork is going, and what it's like to work at a startup that gets so much attention. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Prab, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Let's start with your role. What do you do at WeWork? So my title is Global Head of Marketplace, but my focus is uh, in a couple different places. So, you know, at WeWork, we've got a couple new efforts focused really on digitizing our real estate. And so this is really saying, how do we take all of our assets, all of our technology, all of our spaces, and really make them extremely flexible so that a customer wants to get a space for an hour, for a half hour, for a day, and all our locations and one of our locations, we can enable that. So one of them is really on the digital product side, uh, trying to really digitize these these new um, our spaces and offer these new offerings. And the other side is really all of the other services offerings. So outside of just providing space, we provide a bunch of other offerings to our members to just try to make the, all, the whole experience a lot richer. So we offer um, PEO, payroll, HR services, um, we provide some technology services to them. So the idea is you can really come into WeWork, um, let's say as a small company, and just get all of this stuff that you would need to run your business without having to deal with finding it on your own. And oftentimes, because we're giving it to them, we're giving them a better price than they could get on the street. So it's those two categories. And you've got a lot of pieces of that product, one in particular that is new and I think will be attractive to a whole lot of people. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so we just we launched a product initially in beta in August called WeWork On Demand, and we just rolled it out across the country, and we'll soon be rolling it out to um, more, more of our uh, different countries around the world. But this was a pretty new effort for us. We launched a new app, and it was really taking a lot of the feedback we had in the past um, around what a real kind of true on-demand consumer experience would look like. And then when COVID really happened, it really accelerated our thinking around getting this out to market because... On the one hand, you have a lot of people that are saying, I don't know what to do when it comes to space um, and I need a ton of flexibility and there's no more flexible workspace solution than on demand, which is, you know, when you need space, you buy it and you buy the amount of space you want and for the duration you want. Um, and then the other side of it was just, we really thought that, again, to my point earlier, how do we allow WeWork to really become this platform where a user can get whatever they want. So if they want to get space for an hour, we can do that. If they want to get space for a year lease or a two-year lease, we can do that too. And so it was really just unbundling our offering um, into its component parts and offering it this way. And then the other cool part about it is because it's truly digital, we can do a lot of cool things in terms of the experience. And so we're experimenting a lot with just how we communicate with the user now that it's this way and how we can kind of enrich their experience when they're in the space. Um, and so that's kind of a, a cool offering that we just uh, just launched and, and now is all across the U.S. And give us a quick sense, like pricing, what's available? Is it conference rooms? Is it desks without offices? Is it offices? What are the key things that potential customers might care about and want to know? Yeah, so high level uh, right now, it's $29 for a day pass. So this basically gives you a dedicated desk in any of our WeWork locations that we offer this product. Um, 
We have 850 locations around the world, but this is right now just in the U.S., um, soon to be everywhere. Um, so $29 a day for the for the workspace, and that gives you, like I said, a desk for the day. You get access to the coffee and the kombucha and whatever else is in the space that you're coming into. Um, you can also book um, conference rooms for um, $10 an hour, um, and you can actually um, book them in all the different sizes that we have uh, in the building that you're booking in. And then... Um, by the end of this year, we'll also be offering a private office product. So this will allow you to book um, a small private office for yourself for the day. So if you wanted more of that enclosed office environment, we'll allow you to buy that by the day as well. And, and, you know, I'm a venture capitalist by profession. And one of the questions we always ask is, why now? <laughs> what has changed such that this new product or new company is, is going to take off? And I suspect I know the answer, but why don't you share the thinking about timing? Yeah, so it's two things. I would say on the one hand, we have been thinking about this for a long time. Um, and it's because we've been really thinking about where the future is going. And this was before COVID even, just, you know, how do we think about taking our space and, like I said, digitizing them? Because it's not just this idea of, so it's on the one hand saying, how do we give our customers complete flexibility in how they buy the space? So think about it almost like you're buying Legos. Like you come to WeWork and you're like, I want a little bit of conference room. I want a little bit of space. I want it on my terms. I want it in these locations and we can just deliver it. Um, the other piece is more, we've thought a lot about, you know, the future marketplace concept, which is, you know, how do we maybe take another, another person's space and turn that into WeWork using our technology? And so this is like the first step in doing that. Like, could you take another third party space and turn that into on-demand space? Yeah. Um, so that's that kind of like overall high level piece. And then, like I said, COVID really just accelerated it because all of a sudden you had all these people. So like, let's just say I'm, I'm sitting in Brooklyn right now. Um, and we've seen this use case actually really specifically um, out with, the, with the boroughs of New York, where a lot of people don't actually live in Manhattan, but their HQ is there. And so they have an HQ, but they didn't want to go in the office with COVID. They were worried about public transportation. They didn't want to travel, but they really wanted to get out of the house. Um, and so the ability to just on demand without a commitment go into one of our spaces for the day was really attractive to them. And we saw that through a lot of survey data. So that was the other thing that accelerated us to do it now is to say, look, we really want to serve that use case. Makes a ton of sense. I can imagine a lot of people being interested, which is uh, part of the reason that I was excited to have you participate in this podcast. Let's take a step back and talk about WeWork. You know, if you've been there for a number of years at least to the public. It certainly looks like it's been a wild ride, but maybe you could share what your experience has been. I've been there just over two years and um, it's been, it has been a wild ride, although I had just joined from Uber, which was another wild ride. So I, I was kind of, I was kind of used to it in some ways. Um, but, you know, I, I joined um, just because of the, you know, what I saw as, as this, you know, industry that really hadn't had something like this um, really ever. It's, it's one of the largest industries in the world. Um, flexible space is only 3% of the entire market. And so from a market perspective, I was pretty fascinated by the idea of something coming in and really trying to disrupt this, this space. Um, and, you know, the wild ride has been wild in a number of dimensions. But I think a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that was, has been talked about has been around what's the value of the company or, you know, what are the crazy things that our former um, CEO did. But the actual product itself has always been something that people love. And, you know, you see that in the data and you see that from people that actually use it. And so the product, I think, has always been a great product. Um, and that's one of the things that's given me the fortitude to kind of want to continue to be there and build these new things. 
And the potential is just so large because we're just scratching the surface when it comes to kind of what you can do in real estate. So from that perspective, I think I've been happy to just continue to like be involved and innovate on on this on this category. We as a company have also just completely changed in the past year in the sense that we've gotten new leadership. Um, we've focused heavily on what we think matters. We've gotten rid of the things that we don't think matter anymore that we don't um, we don't have the time to focus on. We've kind of taken out a lot of the bad elements. So the company feels very different from where it was before. Um, and now with a lot of these changes, we're starting to see the beginnings of um, our platform become even more relevant. So I think it's been a crazy journey because for a while things were, were you know, were really, were really bleak in some ways just because of the press and all the uncertainty. But um, I think now we've actually kind of brought things together in a place where if you work at the company, you can start to see what the future can look like. And so I think a lot of us, when we think about WeWork, recall we live and we grow and, and all these sort of big initiatives, which sounds like have been, at least for the moment, you know, pared back to focus on, on more of the core. But maybe you could share, you know, what, what do you think the future of WeWork does look like? So this, this move into a more flexible office makes a ton of sense, is exciting, but to the degree you're able to share what the next handful of years might look like, you know, what kind of changes or, or growth initiatives can we expect? Yeah. So what's been interesting about what we've seen um, with COVID and how it affects real estate is that it's very obvious that remote working has become normalized. So in a lot of industries, whether traditional or not, if you worked from home before, it was like one of those things where you were you were apologizing when you started the call that you were at home and you were really scared about showing your child in the background or your dog. But that's that's all gone. And I think that no matter what, it's been normalized in almost every environment there is. So, so that's great. Um, but I don't think that means uh, that uh, at the same time, people are going to go completely remote. And when you look at the data, and we've obviously uh, looked at all of it, um, it's really clear that you know productivity is down, and innovation is down, and collaboration is down, and people aren't feeling as positive about it because we're, we're social beings and we kind of have to be um, we have to see each other in person. So, I, so I think, so what that means is that you're going to have a hybrid environment. And so companies will have a situation where they're going to say, look, you don't have to come in every day, but maybe you have to come in three days a week or four days a week. And then what that means is how does we, have, the company then has to say, how do we take our work space and adopt it to that new future um, where people aren't necessarily coming in every day? Maybe they don't have the same space. Maybe we have to continue, continue to be spread out. So the workspace just has to be hybrid and more flexible. And it's and, and and I think that's where we are really spending all of our time to say, what does that future look like? So, for example, um, this idea of hub and spoke, you might not need a big HQ space that holds all of your employees every day. It might be a space that people come just to collaborate. It might be a place that people come a couple times a week, but then you might have a lot of hubs as a part of the network, smaller spaces that are geographically located, maybe in more suburban areas where people are uh, live. Um, and, and in that way, People can go there sometimes when they want to have a heads down space that's not kind of at home where they're distracted, but it's not going into the HQ. Um, so one of the things that we're looking at is, you know, building this kind of really uh, future looking hub and spoke model for large companies or any size company. The other one would be thinking about as um, people adopt to these new kind of hybrid models, we're going to need technology to enable people coming in and out of space. And so 
it might be it might be that you know each company almost thinks about themselves like a mini WeWork. They're going to have to think about the capacity of their space and how people are using it and coming in and out and booking maybe booking space within their space. So we're thinking a lot about how we enable the technology for these companies so that they can come in and just have that pre-wired in. Um, and the other piece is what I talked about earlier, which is this idea of as we build this technology, as we digitize our space, I can see a world where we become an interesting um, solution for someone that's looking to kind of get, you know, do what WeWork does, but for their own, for their space. So we can maybe come in and help, you know, be a true marketplace where, you know, on the one hand, people have all the space. We have this technology, this brand, this know-how, the sales and marketing machine, we can layer it on top of that space. That's really interesting and exciting. And to some degree in contrast to like many people, at least who are not going into WeWork every day, think about as we work from like that recent New Yorker article and all the other craziness, but it all makes a ton of sense, at least to me. I want to transition over to Uber. You mentioned you came from Uber, some at least superficial parallels in that you have a charismatic founder, you've got a ton of private capital that went in, you have in business model innovation in kind of an, an old school industry, but a very different way, a more modular way of approaching it. Maybe just start with what was your experience at Uber like? It was an amazing experience. Um, I was one of the early uh, general managers on the Uber Eats side of the business. And so it was like the very beginnings of Uber trying to really prove that it was a platform. Um, so looking at the beginnings of Uber Eats, it was really just this model of <clears throat> how do we take the ride sharing network and build something on top of it? Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we started to really invest and grow that business. And within a couple of years, we went from a couple of cities to 300 cities. And now, you know, I think it was this year that the Uber Eats revenue was bigger than the rides revenue for the first time ever. So um, it was a rocket ship, uh, kind of within a rocket ship, which was kind of interesting. Um, but I, I think Uber is an amazing business. And it, and, and it was very similar, like you said, and that it was tackling these very real world um, issues, working with physical restaurants, working with drivers, um, trying to figure out how you take that physical operations and build technology on top of it that enables it. Um, but it was a very much a B2C product-driven kind of Silicon Valley company. WeWork, interestingly enough, had some of the same dynamics of being this kind of high-flying rocket ship company, but very much a B2B company that didn't actually have technology as its core DNA. It was much more focused on you know, building the real estate assets and then selling it. And, and a lot of what, um, you know, I think uh, a lot of what I've, I've, I've noticed uh, between the two of the companies is that, you know, very different dynamics there. On the one hand, I think Breed str has struggled with this B2B side of how do we build the best, you know, engagement model to get uh, the best restaurants in the world on our platform. And, you know, in some ways, the struggle to grow as fast as it could on the Uber Eats side um, because because of that. Whereas, you know, WeWork has an amazing sales uh, engine and knows exactly how to talk to some of the largest companies and landlords in the world, but maybe doesn't have as strong of a technology. So it was really interesting to see the difference between the two, but um, very much the same in terms of, you know, trying to tackle really big industries, really big problems and going incredibly fast. And then obviously having some collateral damage that comes because of the speed you're going at. And how do you think about that speed now? I think about these mega rounds of financing in, in a variety of companies, including like your old competitors at DoorDash for Uber Eats. Should that be the future? Does it make sense to do this kind of hyper growth 
thing or is it a little bit more slow and steady wins the race the tortoise versus the hare it's the worst answer but i'd say it depends um and you know it's when you look at uh we work you know i don't think that you know, if we hadn't have gone at the speed we had and built the portfolio we did, I don't think it ever would have happened. And so in some ways, the scale that we had and the global business we had, you know, was, was because we were going fast and we were we were trying to bring this thing together. So, you know, I think in some ways that's positive. And when you're trying to go after a really old industry, sometimes you need that. You need the speed and you need the support and the capital. Um, I think with Uber, you know, um, in some ways, it was this race because we were competing heavily against Lyft uh, on the one end and Grubhub and DoorDash and other regional players uh, with Eats. And so I think the capital felt very important because, you know, we had to go out there and try to win the customer and that's really hard to do. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure that without that support, we would have gotten it to the, to the scale it is. And then now, you know, when you get to that scale, you have to deal with all the issues of the scale and how to make it more profitable and things like that. But, you know, would you have gotten that scale and built that type of global business without without the capital? I'm not really sure. Um, and I think with you know with uh, with where things are today, it's probably going to be harder for a company to to get the same type of capital that that um, that some of these companies have. Um, but you know, would those companies have been built uh, in the same way? Um, would they have the same impact on the world? I'm not sure. And we just talked about the similarities with respect to just a ton of capital coming into these companies. What about the similarities with respect to the founders? Now, obviously, very different people, but both had a, a meaningful imprint on the culture, the ability to grow quickly and raise capital was to some degree dependent on them, but also quite controversial figures. What's your kind of generic assessment of folks like that, given the experiences you've had? I think that they're both special people in that. People like that know how to really build uh, things and run through walls. And I'm probably not the right person to judge the good and all the good and bad things that they did. But we'll say that, you know, if you look at like Travis at Uber, I mean, any other person in that place might not have been able to take Uber to where it got to because there was just so much friction um, across every side of the business to get it to get it to be the global behemoth that it became. Um, and to my earlier comment, you know. Achieving that scale um, is really, really hard for any type of business. And so to do it um, you know, quickly um, is very hard. And it takes a special type of person to do that because some another person might not have the fortitude to do that. So I think from that, from that, I learned a lot from watching that. Um, and there's downsides. You don't want to be a you don't want to be a bad business actor, a bad person, you don't want to break laws. You have to be careful with with uh, <laughs> with with how far you take that. But I think that mentality i think is is important um and the grit uh and then and similarly i think with with we work i mean the vision uh was always a huge it was always outsized and i really respect that because i think you know the only way you get um to a place where you take this industry that it, that is that is so so old and has been doing things the same way for so long is with is with really big vision that you stick to so i learned a lot from just seeing when you have the meaning of having this big vision, uh, this outsized vision and sticking to it, as well as this ability to just have that fortitude to push through anything. Uh, I learned a lot from watching that, at least. Rob, thanks so much for joining me today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com.
And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.